0: and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reader.
1: If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's word. If you'll turn in your copies of God's word with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Now there are three texts that give us foundational biblical content For our first study of a first affirmation or article of faith in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty. So, but I am not, for the sake of time, I am not going to read those texts, although I am going to quote them. So let me give them to you so you'll have them ready if you, as you would like to consult them now or later. And that would be Genesis 17 and Matthew 6, 25 through 34. The third text undergirding what we are looking at today is Romans chapter 1. If you'll turn there with me and follow along with me in verses 16 through um, 23. For I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, And also to the Greek for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish heart was darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So. So someone comes up to you. And as they come up to you, it's obvious they're curious, they're seeking, and they've got a question for you. And the question is this. You know, I've been um, looking around and um, considering religions, just something's missing in my life, something's wrong, something's out of kilter. So I wanted to ask you a question. Do you believe in God? So what would be your answer if someone asked you a question? Do you believe in God? What would be your answer? Wonderful. I have five saved people in this congregation. Your answer would be what? Amen. Got some more saved and it only took 30 seconds. Praise the Lord. But then they turn to you and say, you know, I've been asking a lot of people. And I went to a um a fellow that uh, he his uh, he said he uh, like you, he says he's a Christian and he's a member of this thing. Jehovah Witness. I asked him if he believed in God and he said yes. And you told me that you believed in God. You said yes. So I guess the God you believe in is the same God that he believes in. And uh, it, would that be right? And your answer would be. No. Very good. Then. um he then says to you, uh, well, you know, I not only talked to the Jehovah's Witness. Let me tell you, I talked to, a, I think it's called Church of the Latter-day Saints. They said they're Christian also, just like you say you are. I asked him if he believed in God, and and I uh, think they're called Mormons. He said, yes, I believe in God, and uh, yes, I do, and uh, I believe in God. And you say you believe in God. Do y'all believe in the same God? <laughs> I didn't y'all were a little hesitant there. Go ahead. You can say it. No, no. Well, OK. Um, you know, I was studying uh, other religions and I was talking with a guy in Islam and he explained to me that in Farsi, Allah just means God. So he says he believes in Allah, God, and you say you believe in God. So do you all believe in the same God? I mean, what would you say? Well, then he goes another step. He says, oh, so you you say your God is different than their God. Well, would you explain to me your God? Now, what would you say? Are you ready? The early church was concerned that you would be ready. So their first article of affirmation in the. Second century developed instrument called the Apostles Creed, not because the Apostles wrote it. That's why the apostrophe is at the end of the S. The Apostles didn't write it. It is a creed declaring the faith once and for all delivered to the saints through the Apostles. And like every other creed, there are biblical, there are creeds in the Bible, and then there are creeds that were developed by the church from the Bible, usually, and most of them, are developed, most of them are developed, to answer a heresy or a theological error on the doctrine of God or the doctrine of Christ or the doctrine of salvation. Whether it's the Nicene Creed or, or the uh, out of the Chalcedon, the Chalcedon Council. What, the various creeds that were developed usually were... You see, a creed does three things. It's an instrument of discipleship as it gathers biblical truth around a particular issue. R, it is a confession, and a confession works two ways. It proclaims what you believe in worship and to the world in witness, and it protects what you believe to the doctrines of demons that would, in, uh, in, um, that would adulterate the teaching of God's word in the church. It's an instrument of protection against false teaching. Almost all of the early creeds were developed for that, but not the Apostles' Creed. By the way the third use of a creed is to promote biblical unity not unity for unity's sake but biblical unity how can two walk together unless they are agreed well we but by the way when we are agreed what should we do walk together <laughs> in so far as we are agreed that we can function together but the, but the Apostles' Creed was not written to answer an error, although it does and can and has been used to answer errors. It was used for discipleship and the prevailing use of it, the prevailing use of it was once a person made a profession of faith, the pastor would take the Apostles' Creed, which started to be developed and was developed in its pretty close to its present form in the second century, but was edited over the next two to three centuries with uh, edits uh, from time to time uh, as it was attempting to flesh it out as a discipleship instrument for new believers over the essentials. You know, when I met R.C. Sproul, he was first I met him as my professor and then he became a mentor and then we became friends and and in many ways. And one of the first books I ever bought, uh, I've got a bunch of them, but one of the first books I ever bought was his book, his first series of sermons on the Apostles' Creed. Do you know what he entitled the book that was the collection of those sermons? He entitled it Basic Training. Now, I remember in March of 1969, and I was, uh, went to get my test and my physical and uh, then I came home to Cindy. We had just been married a couple of months. And I said, well, I sh-, they said I should be getting my orders and a bus ticket. I'll be going to Beaufort, South Carolina, a place called Paris Island. And it's called in the Marine Corps boot camp. It's when they do basic training to teach you. Here are the essentials of what it means to be a Marine. Well, uh, years later, uh, a couple of years later, I'm working um, for UPS, uh, putting my wife through school. I tell you, I had such a man it was unbelievable. All the sacrifices I had to make. It was just unbelievable. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Honey? And so uh, <clears throat> but I went to work for UPS and boy, they were really proud of this organization. And before we ever got to be a UPS package car driver, I had to go to their basic training school and learn by the book. And that's what they did with the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed contains essentials. Now, not all of the essentials of the faith are in the Apostles' Creed. So you may, all, all Christians believe more than what you find in the Apostles' Creed, but they don't believe less. And they pulled together these essential truths in order to teach them uh, to God's people. And the prevailing use of it was like basic training. When somebody professed faith, the pastor would take the Apostles Creed and go to work with them in the coming days and weeks and then bring them to the to the baptismal font for baptism. In other words, they would disciple them from the profession of faith to their baptism using the Apostles Creed it was of the essentials that's what its purpose was and the first article of affirmation of what we believe credo Deum. i believe in god the father almighty and in those few words, the distinctive of the God of glory and grace, the one true and living God, are affirmed and declared upon which the rest of the creed is built and upon which our life is built. Do I believe the doctrine of God is important? Yes, I do, because I heard what Jesus say in John 17:3, This is eternal life. That you know God. I can never know him exhaustively. In fact, all of eternity I'll be learning about him. But I can know him accurately. I can know him personally. I can know him intimately. And what is it of the distinctives of the God of glory and grace, the one true and living God, are marked out In that very first affirmation, let me give you five of them that when he says, tell me about your God, you can start talking to him. Here's the first one. This God is not is known by divine revelation, not by human imagination. This God is known by divine revelation, not by human imagination. Everything we believe about God, we only know it because God has revealed it. Let me put it this way, and I'm not trying to be picky, but I just to try to get the point across. For a Christian, a Christian would never say thinkingly would never say after at least some discipleship would not say, oh, well, I think God is. Those words would not cross our lips. I think God is because who God is is not based upon what we think and our imagination. It is based upon what God says. Divine revelation. We know who God is. Because of the word of God. Now, you can know the word of God and not know the God of the word, but you can't know the God of the word without the word of God. God must reveal himself to you. Now, praise God. God's attribute is what? Light. God reveals himself and God reveals himself accurately and inerrantly. Well, how does God reveal himself to us? Now, folks, just do a little dive. We're not going. We're not going in eight feet deep. Just go to four feet with me just for a moment. And that's this. God reveals himself two ways to you. God, divine revelation comes in what we call general revelation and in what we call special revelation. So you don't know who God is by imagination. You know who God is by revelation. You remember? Do you remember the law of God? When God gave us the Ten Commandments, the first commandment affirms the worship of God. You shall have no other gods before me. What does the second commandment affirm? It affirms how you know the God whom you worship with a negative. Do not make for yourself any graven images. Hear a word there? Imagination. You do not create the god to worship from imagination and fabrication you go to the word of god and divine revelation To find out who he is. Now, how does God do that? First of all, in what we call general revelation. General revelation means it's available to everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. You when you are born into this world, you have general revelation and general revelation comes by way of two means. Mean number one is creation. Did you hear what I just read in Romans one? That what is to be known of God is evident for God has shown it, revealed Himself to us in what has been made, so that His divine nature, His eternal power, His everlasting attributes, they are seen through what has been made. Our Psalm 19, our Psalm 119. The the heavens declare the glory of God; the creation shouts day after day. The speech of God's glory pours forth out of the creation. Let Everything had that has breath and everything that exists do so to the glory of God. The creation reveals the God of glory. Not only does the creation reveal it, but there's another mechanism. Now, please, all of this deserves so much more treatment, but uh, we're on the essential. So I'm going to stay at 20,000. So here's the second mechanism of general revelation. Your conscience. You're made in God's image. I mean, hasn't your conscience been wrestling through the things you've seen on television this week? From a death to the response to what you see. And you're always working through what? Well, that's not right. Or that's wrong. We got issues of justice in our minds. Well, folks, let me assure you that cocker spaniel that you have at home is having none of those questions. I mean, you sit them in front of the television and let them watch the same programs you are. They're not. pop. They're not working through that. That's not what they're working through. But you are. Imago Deo. You're made in the image of God. On purpose. With purpose. And God's stamp is on you. He has placed his law in your heart. And the sanctities of his law in your heart. Therefore, you begin to process those things. So we know by general revelation. We know, but listen, we can't fully know God savingly. Why? Well, when general revelation comes, creation and conscience, we got a problem. We, because of our sin nature, suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What is plain, we complicate and obscure because of our sinful heart. But God is gracious. He doesn't stop with general revelation that holds us accountable. He sends special revelation. And just like general revelation, creation and conscience, special revelation comes through two means as well. Number one, special revelation is the incarnate Christ, the Savior, the Son of God. Hebrews chapter 1. He, the incarnate Christ, is the exact representation of the Father. When you've seen the Father, you have. when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. The Father has revealed himself in his Son. Hail the incarnate deity. Here is Christ veiled in flesh. The Godhead, the Godhead, see, hail the incarnate deity. But he not only reveals himself specially through the incarnate Christ and his redeeming work, he reveals himself specially with the inscripturated word, the word of God itself, that God's word is that which begins to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds. The word of God not only reveals him. Now watch. The word of God reveals to us him. For instance, if y'all remember last week, I know you did. And you could probably recite my sermon back to me. I know you can. But let me work through it just for a moment. How does it start? I believe in. How do you believe? Where did your faith come from? From God. Why? By grace. Faith cometh. This is the work of God. That you believe. For by grace are you saved. Through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. And how does faith get to you? By grace. Through the spirit of God. And the word of God. Faith. Faith. Cometh by hearing. So how can I know God? By divine revelation. How can I believe in what I know? By divine revelation. The word of God in the hands of spirit of God opens my eyes so that I will believe and embrace what has been revealed to me in creation Conscience, infallibly and inerrantly in His Word that declares the majesty of the incarnate Christ. That's how God reveals us. And one more thing. God reveals Himself in His Word progressively. So you open up the Bible. In the beginning, God. Here's El, then Eloi, then Elohim and plurality within the godhead is accomplished and then comes um, and then comes Yahweh I am that I am then comes uh Jehovah Jireh I will provide and then comes I am a jealous God. God gives names to tell us who he is and he's progressively unfolding himself and and so that he is revealing to us exactly who he is so that we would know who he is and then he comes to the the glorious distillation and comprehensive revelation of who he is in his son Jesus and the revelation of the new covenant in the new testament to us That's how we know God. I've spent a little bit of time of that, but I've got to do it because that's how you know God. Your knowledge of God must be rooted in the word of God. It's not a God we imagine or feel about. It's a God who reveals himself that we know. And we can't know exhaustively, but intimately, personally and accurately. And we feel deeply him Who loves us deeply. Let me give you a second thing. When you begin to go to the Bible, you find out that this is one God who dwells in three persons. And that's the way he reveals himself. But isn't it interesting, even when he reveals himself as one God, as he is one God, he always even in the Old Testament, he begins to anticipate, accommodate and initiate the doctrine of the Trinity for our understanding. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is but the word is Akkad. Akkad means a single with plurality. Doesn't say what plurality, but with plurality. That's why you use it to speak of a grape. The cluster. But a grape in singular. Akkad. Or you go to the creation account. In the beginning, God, singular, created the heavens of the earth. And then it says, God said, let Us make man in our image. Now, there's not the doctrine of the Trinity articulated, but anticipated and accommodated as it begins to unfold in the Old Testament for us, step by step through the names of God, the acts of God, until you get to the full declaration of it in the New Testament. And as it comes forth in the New Testament, we find out with abundant clarity that God, that we can see it in the Old Testament, in the shadows and types and promises and precepts and symbols. Now we see it in its articulation and declaration in the New Testament, that there is one God in three persons, one God, that's his being. God is God, one God in being who exists in his singular being in three persons. You are made in his image. You are a being with one person. God is a being in three persons. We are a being with one person and have multiple dynamics in our life. For instance, I am a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I am parent, I am a I am a uh, pastor, I am a citizen, I am uh, you know, constantly talking about these things that I am in my roles and responsibilities and acts of life as one being made in the image of God with personhood. God exists as one being. Three persons and multiple acts. Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, Judge, Completer. As the Trinity creates the Father-authored our creation. All things were created through the Son and for the Son. And the Holy Spirit hovered over the creation and ordered the creation. In redemption, the Father authored our salvation. The Son accomplished our salvation. The Holy Spirit applies our salvation. God's work in providence, uh, not only creation and redemption, but God's work in providence. The Father loves us. The Son intercedes for us. And the Holy spirit indwells us we have a we have one god in three persons folks you got a trinitarian act of creation a trinitarian act of redemption we have a trinitarian gospel father son and holy spirit through the preeminent christ by whom we fix our heart and minds to the glory of the father and the power of the holy spirit we even taught to pray this way our father who art in heaven So we're taught to pray Trinitarian. We're taught to worship. The father seeks true worshipers who will worship him in spirit. And in truth, we worship the father through the son and in the spirit. So in our confessions, our hymns, our worships, our witness, it is clear. One God, three persons. Now, let me go much quicker. Number three, father. He is our father. Can I ask you all a question? As the Bible unfolds the doctrine of God progressively in Old Testament to New Testament, I'm giving you a little hint there. Who is the first teacher of Israel? Who is the first rabbi to inform us that God is our father? Okay, pretend like you are eight years old and I'm doing a children's sermon and I ask you, who made the ark? What will Johnny say when I ask him who made the ark? Jesus. Because that's never wrong. Okay, so I'm going to ask this again. Who is the first rabbi teacher of Israel to let us know that God is our father? Jesus. When did he first say it? Well, he had just become a man formally. And his daddy and mother left church and they left him there. Some of you've done that because I've kept your kids till you came back. And they, and they came back and they began to look everywhere and they couldn't find him. Finally they found him. And he said, you knew where I was. Why are you so worried? Here's his first statement. Did you not know I would be in my father's house? God, our Father. Now, we're mothered because God the Father sent His Son who purchased His bride and set up His bride to nurture His people. But God reveals Himself in the focus of the first person of the Trinity as our Father. Our Father. Jesus fills the New Testament with it. Why are you anxious about anything? God clothes the lilies of the field who don't, who don't toil or work. How much more does your Father love you? Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. When you pray, pray this way, our Father, That's unheard of. Go find that kind of prayer in the Old Covenant. That now, only because of Christ, not because God's been diminished, only because of Christ, now this great God who is so glorious, I now can say, He is my Father. He is our Father. We have that glorious relationship with Him. And as a father, that this teaching pervading the New Testament to teach us. And you see this glorious Trinitarian work at the baptism of Jesus, the father from heaven speaks. This is my son. See, by the way, you see, the Trinity is not one God with three uniforms. But one God in three persons. Yet not three gods, one God, but not one God with three appearances, but one God in three persons. Even at the baptism, what do you have? You have the Father speaking from heaven, His Son being baptized, and then the Holy Spirit being poured out upon Him. And the Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then God is your Father and through Christ is well Pleased with you. That you are now been adopted into the family of God through the work of an elder brother, Jesus, your Redeemer. And you can call God your father. These Charleston examples just came flooding to my mind this week. And I was in... um, i was in uh, just thinking through this but um i had a very special i not only bore my dad's name i had a special relationship with my dad um one that i only wished was even more special for many many ways and multiple ways but i'll never forget uh, uh i'll never forget the um uh, when we had moved to charleston south carolina uh we lived in north charleston first and we were living at uh, 103 calhoun uh, Calhoun Way and then I walked out one block I got on Durant Boulevard uh, Durant Avenue which was a dirt road I walked down and there was this thing called Park Circle and because it was a circle it had eight roads running off of it and down one of those roads was my second grade elementary school Park Circle Elementary School now North Charleston Elementary School And so Saturday, my dad and mom said, well, you're going to walk. It's only two miles, no problem, but we're going to walk. And I said, "Okay." so they walked me down there. Here, go out here, go to Durant, walk down Durant, get to Park Circle, go around the circle. And when you get over here, pick up this road right here and follow it. And two blocks down that road is Park Circle Elementary. Go in the front door and to the right is your second grade class. Great. Got it. So we worked on all of that. And... um, So Monday morning came. Here's what we forgot. North Charleston, 1950s. Two things. It's on the coast. And there is the largest paper mill in the United States. Therefore, every morning, marsh mist and paper mill smoke long before cleansing, scrubbing. Paper mill smoke. Together produced a layer of cloud that A, smelled like you wouldn't believe, and B, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. I left that morning. I made my way down Durant. I got to Park Circle, and I was looking for that road. I kept going around and around, and then I picked one. Guess what? Wrong road. And the clouds got thicker, and the odor got more intense, and everything got worse, and I was convinced I had just... Walked into oblivion. I was dead. That was it. Then I thought, no, no. My daddy will miss me and come find me. Well, I think my dad realized when he looked out and saw everything, I better check on him. And right at the moment I thought my dad will find me. I looked up and beside me was a 54 Chevy. And the door opened and my dad looked out and said, son, are you lost? And I said, yes, daddy, I'm sorry. He said, don't worry. Get in the car. I'll take you to school. You know, I love that moment for so many reasons, but I love that moment because it was a precursor. Because. Thirteen years later, I had taken a wrong road. And I was lost in my sin. I was lost in the depths of my sin. I was headed to a Christless eternity of a place called hell. And the Heavenly Father sought me by the Spirit of God. And He said to me in a gospel message... Are you lost? And I said, "Yes." I'm sorry. Get in. I'll take you to school. And he brought me by grace into the school of grace, and through that has taken me home. I believe in God, the Father. But can he pull it off? That's why the next one's so dear. I believe in God the Father... Almighty, Don't you love Genesis 17 when God says to Abram, I'm going to build you a, I'm going to build you i um, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to give you a seed that's going to become a redeemer. And, and then I'm going to give you a land. And that land's a down payment of the heavens and the earth and the new heavens and the new earth. And in your seed and through your nation, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And Abram said, wait, wait, wait. I'm 99. She's 90. And what does God say? El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. Nothing is impossible for me. There's only one thing God can't do. He can't quit being God. And that God, in all of his glory and his attributes, declares, I am God Almighty. I stick with my daddy, since we're on the father thing here, I bore my dad's name, Harry Lloyd Reader the third. And he's Harry Lloyd Reader, Jr. and Harry Lloyd Reader, Sr. And many holidays, our family, almost all holidays, our families would get together. And then my dad early on, before my three sisters came along, he loved to do this. He would take me and put me on top of a Frigidaire. I have just dated myself. Frigidaire, not refrigerator. That's what y'all call it. When I, growing up, there was only one company that you would buy from and that was Frigidaire, so it was a Frigidaire. And my dad would put me up on the refrigerator, up on the Frigidaire, and I would stand me up and then he would back up and he would say, son, jump. And all the family was around watching me. Folks, I've I've had to count three, two bases loaded in baseball games, and I've never been more nervous than that moment, standing on that when my dad said, jump. Now, I wasn't, I'm not the sharpest knife in the in the uh, tray, and I'm not the brightest bulb in the chandelier. But I knew to process that, and I did process that. I looked at me, I looked at him, even as a little, little boy. I looked at me, and I looked at him. He said, jump, that means, A, is he going to catch me, or is he going to move? B, if he is going to catch me, can he catch me? And I became convinced I could trust him. And he was able. And I jumped. God's revealed himself to you. And he's given you your promises. And he says, Cast yourself upon me. I won't move. And I am able. I am able to create. He didn't need six days. He did it six days for a reason. He could just speak. I am able to create. I am able to save. And I am able to sustain you. In me, you live and move and have your being. I am able. Fifthly. You begin as you go through the rest of the creed to realize God is holy. The word holy means unique, one of a kind. God is one of a kind. There's not another one like him. He is holy. He is holy. W H O L L Y. He is holy other. He is righteous, pure, no sin, no ability to sin, and he is sovereign and he is holy. He alone can create. You can't create. I can't create. I hear people all the time say well he created nobody anything people make they worked with something he made from nothing. We can because we're in his image, we can be creative. But we can't create, bring from nothing something. We can't save. You can't save yourself. You can't save others. You cannot sustain humanity. But the God who creates, redeems, and sustains is holy other, the Father Almighty. And He alone is worthy to be praised. Which is why when you know Him, the sign that you know Him, you are unstoppable in your desire to worship Him alone in a way that He alone is pleased. That begins to fill your soul. If I was to ask you... Give me one word for God, but you can't use any of his names. What would you say to me? Most people would say God is love and God is love. But that's not the one you would look for. The one you would look for is the one that when we look into heavens and the angels are worshiping in Isaiah and Revelation. They are crying out. Holy, holy, holy. When he sends the spirit to you who knows the intentions and thoughts of the living God, who is God, he's not called the love spirit. He produces love, joy, peace, kindness. He's the Holy Spirit. God is holy. His name is not to be taken in vain, only used to his praise and worship as he reveals himself in his word that God is to be glorified in all that he is and all that he has and all that he does and he is all in all to be praised. So here's your takeaway and I'll close in prayer. Who and what we worship here's the here's the takeaway from this first article of faith. Who and what we worship will determine how we live. Now flip that, how we live will ultimately reveal who and what we worship, who and what we worship will ultimately determine our lives. You'll set your calendar, you'll write your checkbook, you'll make your budget, you'll det- your life will be oriented about who and what you worship. And if you sit with people long enough and watch people long enough and listen long enough, they'll ultimately reveal to you. Who and what they worship. My daughter. I'll close in prayer after this. My daughter uh, came to me the other day. One of my daughters. And she said, "Uh, Dad, do you know about. And she named this personality interview test that businesses use? And I said, no, I don't. I said, explain it to him. She said, well, it's really interesting, Dad. She said, look, I'm not going to go through all the details and everything, but let me just tell you this. They give you some questions and you ask the questions and basically the questions are designed and listed out really to get the person talking. And when they talk, you talk for at least a couple of hours. And if you'll talk for a couple of hours using those questions, eventually you'll find out who and what is important to them. Eventually, how we live and what we say will reveal who we, who and what we worship. My friend, uh, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson, who I quote all the time for valid reasons, he, um, he read the book, uh, Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion. Anybody heard of it? It's to debunk Christianity's God. And uh, But Sinclair read it and he said, there's a lot we can talk about. But uh, here's what he said. He said, here's the giveaway. The God delusion to tell us that the God revealed in the Word of God is a delusion. When you read it, it soon is informative. He said, I read it by and far. No comparison. Nothing is in second place. What one word is used the most in the book, The God Delusion? I. Me. That's his delusion. He is his God of his vain imagination. And he is not almighty. And he is no everlasting father. We boast in the Lord. I believe in God, the father almighty. I've got all kind of issues in a broken world. But my first article of affirmation, fixed point. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Let's pray. May I just simply give you a moment, perhaps like the opening uh, conversation. God's got a Holy Spirit compelled curiosity. You want to know this God. God. Did you know you're asking the question of eternal life? John 17:3: "This is eternal life, that you know God and the, and His Son whom He sent from heaven? God the Father has given His Son that you might become the sons and daughters of God through Christ. May I invite you to him? A father with a deep, deep love. And a father who has given his son. Who has loved you with a deep love. By atoning for your sins on the cross. And would you come to him? And brothers and sisters. We might rejoice. That this first article of faith is one we can sing, praise, and confess. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.